Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. We are in week two of a series called Burning Questions. And today we're going to answer a question that is monumental. I promise you. It is fundamental. In fact, the way that you answer this question will shape a lot of how you approach the world that you're living in. It will uh, shape a lot of the way that you see yourself. It'll shape the, the lenses that you have uh, through which you see this, this life. It'll shape the way you see God. It will change everything about you. It will change the way you see your potential. You ready for the question? I know some of you are like, man, this sounds like a big question. It is. However, before we put it up there, you're going to be like, that's not that big of a question. So I promise you, it is. I'm not trying to build it up to be something that is not. But here is the question. You ready for it? Can I trust the Bible? Can I trust the Bible? Because after all, why are we here if we don't put our, our, our faith and trust in what God's word tells us? Now, I know some of you are just kicking the tire. Some of you are checking the whole faith thing out, seeing if you can trust the Bible. Well, I promise today before you leave, you will have a better understanding of, of why you can do it. Because here's the reality. If the Bible is just a good book with some good you know, stories in it, with some good morals in it, but it's antiquated and outdated and not relevant for my life, then why did you show up today? Are you with me? Like why even come? Why even you know, waste an hour if we cannot trust what God's word says, that it really is the Holy Spirit inspired word of God that is able to equip and change us, make us completely different, guide us in our lives? And so I believe that we absolutely can't trust the Bible. So this is going to be today, just so you're aware, a little more teachy than preachy. And so I'd encourage you right now, get out your iPhones, whatever you take notes on, your iPads, use your eyeballs, just use eye something, write these things down. We are gonna fly through a ton of stuff that I believe is going to be important to us answering this question. Because listen, if we are going to spend the next few weeks really going hard after some things like sexuality and things like, like purpose and things like end times, then this has to be our starting place. Are you with me? Like we have to have a, a firm foundation with what we believe. Here's what the Bible says about itself. 2 Timothy 3.16. Everybody say this first word. All. All, All scripture. Not the parts of it that you like not the parts of it that make logistical sense to you, not the parts of it that you agree with, but all of it is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness, all of it. God's word also tells us this in Psalm 119, that his word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. You know what a lamp does? It, it lights up the, the darkness. God's word illuminates the dark areas, not only of our lives, by the way, but the world around us. James tells us that we don't just read the Bible. God's word, God's Bible reads us, and it kind of reveals to us, you know, the, the ways in our life that need to be changed. It's a, it's a lamp for our feet, a light to our, our path. Matthew 24, 35 says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but say it out loud, my words will never pass away. So it stands the test of time. It, it stands for forever. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Psalm 119 says, all your commands are trustworthy. 
So in just a few verses, we've read that God's word is, is all from him. It's all from him. It's, it's useful to equip us, to teach us, to correct us, to, to train us. It's absolutely trustworthy. It goes on forever. It's our God. And we see those verses, but still, many people might ask the question, well, how do we know that's true? Like, Colby, how do, we, how do we know we can trust it? How do we know that God's word, the Bible that I have in my hands, the one that I read, is actually the inspired word of God through his, his spirit? Is there any way I can trust it? And that's a fair question. And it's fair because how many of you know who you listen to matters? Come on, talk back to me. Like, how many of you know, uh, have learned that the hard way, who you listen to matters? Anybody learn that the hard way? Okay, yeah, yeah. Me too, right? Because if you listen to the wrong people, it'll lead you to the wrong places. So when we answer this question, can we trust the Bible? Is it actually from God? Or is this life that we're living and doing our best just simply nothing more than blind faith? And I think what we're gonna discover today, it is absolutely not blind faith. In fact, we're going to discover it, right? Because truth is something we discover. It's not something we decide. You can go back and listen to last week if, if you wanna get a good foundation for that. But there is an element, of course, to our faith in our Christian life, but elevate church. God's word is not simply blind faith. And so the information I'm gonna give you today, I have collected and put together from a lot of sources. Um, this stuff did not originate with me. In fact, I tell you often, you know, things that I say that are good or smart sounding, that did not come from me, right? We know that. I am a cookies on the bottom shelf kind of person. So this is info I've collected from books, from podcasts, from other pastors and preachers that, that I admire from seminary as well. So because we're just going to scratch the surface and not have time for everything, here is a recommended list of reading. You can take a picture of this with your phone. If you're one of those people that's like, I wanna, I wanna dive deeper into this. I wanna get some more out of this. I want to, to learn. These are great resources to help you in your, your study. Um, so let me go ahead and throw my cards on the table when it comes to this question. Uh, so there is no room for doubt. We can absolutely trust the Bible. We can absolutely trust it. And I'm gonna tell you why. I'm gonna give you three proofs as to why, maybe four, if we have time, that God's word can be trusted. Are you ready to go? You guys ready to go to class? We're gonna go to school today. All right, number one, why we can trust the Bible, write it down. It is historically accurate. It's historically accurate. Psalm 33, four says this, for the word of the Lord is not only true, but it's also right. It's right. It is, it is accurate. And so the question then becomes, how do we know? How do you prove that something is historically accurate, that it's not made up? Well, there is an historical accuracy standard. And by the way, this is not a Christian standard. So this is not something I'm just kind of using and, and making it fit for our intended purposes. Um, but for any ancient writing, whether it's a biblical writing or a non-biblical kind of writing, in order for it to be trusted as a historical document, an accurate historical document, it has to pass three tests or three questions. And the first one is this, was it written from an eyewitness account? Was it written from eyewitnesses? Were they there? Were they on location? Uh, and absolutely, that's, that's a check 
in that column because Moses was there when the Red Sea was parted. Joshua was there at Jericho. We have the gospels who were all written by, by guys who were with Jesus, who did life with him. And by the way, the, the four gospels, they, they didn't sit around and collaborate with one another as they were writing them. They were, wrote the gospels at different times. It wasn't like John was like, hey, Mark, what'd you put for chapter seven? Like, I wanna make sure I'm doing the same thing. That's not how it worked. But when they brought them together, they all matched. There was accuracy in those gospels. So the answer to the question, number one, was it written by eyewitness accounts? Absolutely, yes. The second question then becomes, was it recorded with extreme care? Now, this is important. And it's important for us to know and realize because maybe you have heard this said, or maybe you have been the one to say it, but people say, can we really trust the Bible because... It was written such a long time ago. Because it was in the Old Testament written, you know, way back when they didn't have the cloud back in those days in order to back things up, which by the way, I hate the cloud. I'm just letting you know. But the argument is, well, somebody, you know, copied it. And so what we have is a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And Pastor Colby, I've played the game telephone and I know how things get lost in translation. I know how things get weaker the, over time, the more it's, it's copied. And so, there must have been, here's the argument, major mistakes. There must be things, right, that we're reading today that can't be like that of the original. But here's why the answer is yes to that question of was it recorded with extreme care? Many pastors and scholars believe that this is really why God chose the nation of, uh, of, of Israel, the, the Jewish nation, to bring us the Bible because the Jewish scribes were known historically throughout the world as the most meticulous scribes on earth. I'll give you an example. When they sat down to record uh, and copy the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, check it out from memory. Come on, I told you I'm slow at this, but I got that one. Like when they sat down to record it, they did not copy the Torah word for word. You know how they did it? Letter for letter. Letter for letter. That's how they did it. And they knew exactly how many letters were in the entire Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they went to the middle letter. And then they counted from that middle letter backwards and they counted forwards. And if they did not match by one letter, if one letter was off, they threw the entire thing out. Like, and they had to start over. And so that's how, like we know it was copied with extreme care, extreme care. And so the argument, I know a lot of people, you know, would say it's, it's been a lot of time though, and it still has to get weaker and weaker. But I love when God throws us a bone and says, hey, let me help build your faith in this because this is not blind faith. How many of you have ever heard of the, the Dead Sea Scrolls? You heard of those? Like, like, maybe you're like me that you've heard of them, but you didn't know the significance of them or when they were discovered, you know, you knew it was a big deal and Christians kind of, you know, geeked out over this whole thing. Um, it's actually an amazing piece of evidence that God gave us to say, you're not walking into this thing blindly. And here's why they're important, because before 1947, the oldest copy, physical copy of the Old Testament that we had was 900 years after Jesus had died. Like 
that was the oldest copy that we, we had. And we know that, and we're gonna talk about this in a second, but when Jesus was walking the earth and when he would sit down with his disciples and when he'd go to the temples and they'd unroll the scrolls, they believed then that they had the perfect, accurate word of God uh, in the Old Testament that they read from. Our dilemma was that the oldest copy we had was from 900 years after Jesus had died. And so what a lot of people thought was, man, that's a long time. There's a lot of stuff that can happen. Surely it has been, been changed until 1947. And the end of 1947, really into 1948, and even still today, they're making discoveries, but they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I bet you can guess where they discovered them. The Dead Sea, right? And they discovered these scrolls. And here's the big deal about these things. They were dated 100 years before Jesus was born. And so now they had a copy. And I've seen these in the, the, the Museum of History in Israel, in, in Jerusalem. They have the actual physical copies from 100 years before. So this is the oldest documents that we have recorded. And we had the 900 years after Jesus had died, that copy. And when they brought those two together, guess what? They matched perfectly, letter for letter. And so we actually have physical proof that what I am reading today, what you are reading out of today is the same thing that they were reading back then. How awesome is that? God's like, I did that in order for you to build your, your faith. So it answers the question, it was copied with extreme care, extreme care and precision. And so then the third question becomes then, does it have archeological confirmation? In other words, do the, 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 the civilizations and the, the nations and the people groups that are talked about in the scripture, is there evidence of those existing, you know, based on Archaeology, and this is important because people would, you know, read the Bible uh, back in the day and be like, "Hey, well, list this place and this place, and there's no evidence of that." Well, today, what we know is that every single, you know, group has been substantiated and validated. We have a bazillion pieces of, you know, evidence from archaeological digs that these places actually existed. Let me just give you a few. Of course, the theater in Athens is one of them. Uh, the Pool of Siloam, that's another one. Herod's Temple. And this is one I love is the book of Acts. Because if you know anything about Acts, as you read it, it is a, a book of, of history, really. And Acts lists 39 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands. And every single one of those listed in Acts has been substantiated, every single one of them, by archaeology, by some, some dig that has happened. However, there was one exception. And I know some of you are like, oh, here we go. This is where it all unravels. This is where it's blind faith. There was one exception, and it was the Hittite Empire. And for 1,900 years, they're like, well, maybe the Bible just missed it on this one. They couldn't find it. Maybe it just got it, got it wrong. However, in the early 1900s, an archaeological dig happened, and every single artifact at that dig was from, guess what empire? The Hittite Empire. And so it covered every single the Bible covers every single, you know, nation, civilization in scripture has been validated through archaeology. And what happened at that dig, by the way, was that the archaeologists went, oh my goodness, the Bible was right. In fact, many people said the Bible was not only right, but it knew more about our history 
than we even knew. Come on, somebody. Because it's not just true, it is right. Are you with me? It's right, it's accurate, it's historically accurate. Historian Nelson Gluck, uh, he says this. He said, it may be, and went away, stated categorically that no archeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. That's this guy, historian. And when he says something like that, you should know he is putting his reputation on the line because here's a guy who is saying, hey, I've given my life. My life's work is archeology. span And so he's saying that there has never been one single you know, piece of evidence to, to disprove what the Bible has, has said. It is perfectly historically accurate. And I'm just telling you this, it's not even close to blind faith. It's not even close. William Albright, he says this, another historian, he said, there can be no doubt that archeology span has confirmed the substantial history of the Old Testament tradition. There have been, check it out, over 25,000 archeological discoveries that substantiate the validity of scripture. Elevate Church, we can trust the Bible because it's historically accurate. It's accurate. Here's number two, it's scientifically accurate. And I'm gonna spend a little time on this one because this is the stuff that used to mess me up, if I'm being honest. This is the stuff that would challenge me, I get stuck on, because all it takes is one podcast that you listen to, or one book that you read, or one professor in college, right, to tell you something, you're like, all right, well, that must be true. And then you just live your life according to that, that one thing that you heard. You just think, well, that must be true. But you guys do know, right, that any Yahoo can have a podcast, right? Like any, anybody can self-publish a book. And there are some really bright people out there that are not correct about God's word and about the Bible. But what we often hear um, and what we've been conditioned to hear, especially in the last few years is this, we gotta trust the science. Gotta trust the science, gotta trust the science, just trust the science. How many of you know science changes? Science evolves, right? It, it, it shifts. We've also learned that in the last couple of years, have we not? It changes. In fact, I read an article, article this week and I validated it with some of our, our LECOM students that come here to church, but they said, um, Med students are being told when they enter into med, med school at the beginning of the year, they need to be prepared for much of the science they learn in the first year and second year to have changed by the time they graduate. Is that not crazy? That's how quickly science changes. That's how quickly things evolve. I'm just saying science changes, but God's word never changes. It never changes. Science evolves in our lifetime, and we, we know that. There are things that we know today to be true that we did not know back in, in the day. And people will sometimes say, well, we can't trust the Bible. We have to trust science. And science and the Bible, they don't agree with each other. And I would just tell you, that's not true. That's completely not, not true. In fact, every time the Bible talks about science, every single time, it is 100% um, accuracy. It's never been proven wrong. Now, I will say this, the Bible is not a science textbook. Like if you wanna go how to learn how to build a rocket, you're probably not gonna go to the Bible, but it has never been proven wrong. Psalm 148 says this, let every created thing give praise to the Lord for this is how it happened. He issued his command and it came into being. 
He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. So for a book, listen to this, a book, when you read that, that is over 1600 years, and you do know that, that holy Bible, like Bible just means book, holy is set apart. It means it's set apart. God set this apart for us. But for a book that's over 1600 years, uh, was written 1600 years ago, you would think that in this book, there would be at least one thing, one scientific thing that needs to now be corrected because how often science evolves and changes that needs to now be corrected. And there's just not. There's not, there's not one thing that needs to now be corrected in God's word. In fact, if you ever go to Paris and you go to the Louvre, the, the museum in Paris, the city of Louvre, you know, you go there, they have a vault. And in the vault in the Louvre, there is three and a half miles of science textbooks that are now obsolete. Three and a half miles. Because they just don't, it doesn't not apply anymore to our lives because science changes. One of those uh, was written by the French Academy of Science and it's called this 51 Incontrovertible Scientific Facts That Prove the Bible is Wrong. That's in there, that's in the vault. And do you know that since then, all 51 of those have been proven that they are wrong and that the Bible was right? Like this, this stuff is real every single one of those. And there's an argument to be made that the Bible knows more about our science than we do. Because it's not only what the Bible does say, but it's also about what the Bible does not say. It's what it does not say, it does what it does not allude to. In fact, I'll give you an example that the science of the day, the wisdom of the day said this, that the earth is flat. That's what people believed. Some of you still believe that the flat earthers out there. I'm praying for you, just so you know. But that was the wisdom of the day, right? Like, how would they know? They thought if you just sailed out, you know, across the ocean that eventually is just gonna fall off the edge. But all they had to do was go 2,600 years before the science of the day in Isaiah, where the Bible says this, the Bible says, God sits enthroned, uh, sits enthroned above the what? Say it out loud. Circle of the earth. The Hebrew word for circle, the original word is sphere. It's where we get the word globe. Is that not crazy? This, the science of the day was that, you know, it, it was flat, but at God's word, the only explanation for that verse 2,600 years earlier, right, is that God had something to do with writing that verse. Does that make sense? I see you're not convinced. I'll give you another one. The wisdom of the day, the science of the day said that the earth was held up by something, different things. It was suspended by something. According to the Greeks, it was, uh, this guy right here was Atlas. He was doing it. He was holding the thing up, his, his big old gun, sun's out, gun's out. There's Atlas holding up the earth. According to the, the Hindus, um, here's what they believed. You can Google this. They believe that the earth was held up by elephants on top of a turtle. <laughs> and actually that turtle was on top of a snake and that kind of went through. So I'm just saying, like that's what they believed. According to the Egyptians who we still think are some of the most brilliant minds when it comes to ancient history, the way they engineered things, the way they made things, according to the, the Egyptians, they believed 
that the earth was held up by five pillars, five pillars. And here's what's awesome about this. Moses, remember that guy? You know, led his people out of Egypt. He would have been trained and educated in the wisdom of the Egyptians. This is what he would have learned. Do you know Moses never mentions one time the earth being held up by five pillars? It's not just what the Bible says, it's also what the Bible doesn't say. Like this would have been the, the leading thought of, of the day when all they would have had to do is go to the oldest book of the Bible, which by the way, isn't the first book of the Bible. The Bible was not written in, chrono, it was not you know, given to us in chronological order. It was given to us in categories and in types of books. The oldest book would have been Job. That's what most people believe, Job. And that would sit somewhere between the, between the first 10 chapters in Genesis. But all they had to do was go back to Job where Job says this. He says, he spreads out the Northern skies over the empty space. He suspends the earth over what? Nothing. Nothing. How did he know that? Like, really? How did Job know to write that? My argument is that Job didn't do it. <laughs> Right? He would not have known how to do that. Like that was, that was God. God had his, his hand in that. You still don't look convinced. I'll give you another one. Here we go. For years, here was the science. Science said, we can count the number of stars. We got this. We're smart. And so in, in 150 BC, Hipparchus, he counted and he saw that there were 1,022 and everybody was blown away. They're like, Wow. We're so amazing. We can count the stars in the sky. There's 1,022. And 300 years later, Ptolemy says, no, you missed it, bro. You were way off. You missed it by four. There are actually 1,026 stars. And then another guy, Google, comes along. Have you heard of him? He said in 2023, just yesterday, you can look it up on your phone right now, when you ask him, there is 200 billion trillion stars in the sky. In fact, the argument is there's just too, too, too many to count. When all they had to do, check it out, 600 years before Jesus was born, this is what was written in Jeremiah, the stars of the sky cannot be counted. Why? Because I'm God. You're not God. I've got this. I know what I have, have done. You want another one? This is fun for me. I don't know if it's fun for you. This is fun for me. Forever, here was the science of the day. They believed that too much blood is the cause of sickness. That's what they believed. And so all, you know, diseases stemmed from that, sicknesses stemmed from there being, being too much blood. And so there, there came a, a guy on the scene named uh, Hippocrates. In fact, uh, he practiced something called humoralism or humorism, and which was, uh, it was bloodletting, if you've ever heard of that term. And bloodletting was, they, they would cut you in order to release the blood because they believed that's what, you know, caused you sick. There was just too much of it. In fact, there were four different bodily fluids. There was yellow bile, black bile, phlegm, and blood that they tried to get out of you when you were sick. By the way, that's the way our first president of the United States died, George Washington. Because from four times, they did bloodletting on him and he lost so much blood that he, he died. That was just 200 years ago. That's not that long ago. And so that was the science of the day. Leviticus 17.11 says this, no, no, no. Hey, the life of the body is in the blood. It's in the blood, which today is the reason why people are trying to put more in you than take out of you, right? If you need help, you get transfusions, you get more put in you. There's life in the blood. 
And this is why I'd stop right here and say, this is the reason why we're pro-life, by the way, is because there's life in the blood. Because do you know when blood shows up? Eight days after conception. I, I stand here and I'll, I'll tell you, and I'm not budging from that position, is that we should do everything we can to protect the innocent and the unborn. Just saying, I'll throw that out there. I know some of you will get mad and say, that's political, that's political. It's not political. That's moral. It's not political. There is life in the blood. There's life in the blood. So we can trust the Bible. Historically, it's accurate. Scientifically, it's accurate. We evolve you know, in our science and in our knowledge and in our understanding, but the word of God does not change. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I don't know about you, but I'm not putting my faith and my hope for an eternal destination in something that changes. I refuse to put that in a moving target. I'm gonna put it in something that remains the same, which is the word of God. Here's number three, you ready for it? We can trust it because it's prophetically accurate. This one is ridiculous. It's huge. It's huge. And here's why. Because now we have this book that was given to us by God that he's not only asking us to believe what we read, but he's also making, putting in futuristic predictions. And can I tell you something? If one of those does not happen, people just throw it out. It must not be true. It must not be true. So this one is a big deal. This is a big deal to make futuristic predictions. In fact, there are a thousand plus prophecies in God's word and 300 plus of those are about Jesus alone. 300 plus are about Jesus. And by the way, it's not like vague stuff. It's not like Jesus comes, he's gonna be a nice guy. He'll be a little chill. You know, he's gonna, he's gonna have hair. He'll be average height, average weight. That's not what they are. It's specific things like he will ride on a donkey into Jerusalem. It's things like where he'll be born and how he'll be born. He'll be born in Bethlehem. He will be raised in Nazareth. He will escape Egypt, fulfilling that prophecy as well. But this one right here jacks me up. He will be crucified. And do you know why? Because at the time King David prophesied this about Jesus, crucifixion had not even been invented yet. That was not a word, people. There's not a word. All these futuristic predictions that have come true, every single one of them, like 400 years before Jesus was crucified, that was, that was predicted. That would be the equivalent of someone on the Mayflower telling us, hey, you know, in, in 2023, there's gonna be drones that, that fly and deliver medical supplies, you know, throughout Africa and remote villages. Like they would have to know that. That's what I'm saying, it's that crazy. That messes me up. But every single prophecy has absolutely come true. There are some, however, that have yet to be fulfilled. And that's, those are talked about in the book of Revelation and other places. And I'm just saying, when that happens, you're gonna wanna be on the right side of those, just so you know. Especially in light of the fact that the Bible is batting a thousand right now. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Now I can see this is still not blowing your mind. And so there was a guy. No, maybe it is. Named um, Dr. Peter Stoner, obviously from Titusville. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding about that. You knew it was coming. I've been waiting all day for that one. Um, 
but he, he um, did research on the probability of these prophecies being fulfilled. You know, prob probability is a study of, uh, say you have a bucket and you have 10 ping pong balls in a bucket and all 10 are white except one. There's one red one. And I blindfold you and you reach down in that bucket. The odds of you, the probability of you pulling one out that's red is one in 10. All right, so he did the study of probability and he took about a hundred different researchers and they studied all these prophecies of Jesus, uh, about Jesus, and they studied, you know, the probability of those coming true. And here's what they discovered. If one of them, um, if, if eight, sorry, if eight of them of those prophecies come true, out of the 300 plus about Jesus come true, there is a one in 10 to the 17th power chance of that happening. That's that number right there. That's a big number. In fact, here's what that number looks like. If you had ping pong balls in the amount of that number and you scattered them across the state of Pennsylvania, it would fill the state of Pennsylvania and it would be under 11 feet of ping pong balls. That's that number. And so, you know what this would be like? This would be like you getting in a helicopter, getting blindfolded, you know, taking off from Erie, flying over Pennsylvania, and you, hey, when you say stop, you know, we'll stop, and we lower you down blindfolded and into 11 feet of ping pong balls, and you grab one, and that's a red one. That's what the probability would be. That's that number. That's if only eight of those came true. Look at if, if 16 of those prophecies were fulfilled. It's one in 10 to the 45th power. If, uh, if 30 or 40, what's the next one? 48 of those prophecies came true. It's one in 10 to 150 cent. Like there's no room for those zeros on this thing. Are you with me? What about 300 of them? What about 300 coming true? I'm just telling you people, this is not, right? It's been fulfilled. Like this is God's word. This is what he tells us will happen. The only explanation for that is that man didn't write it, God wrote it. Are you with me? And I'm sorry if I get fired up. Actually, I'm not sorry if I get fired up about this because God's word is, leads us to salvation. It is unto God. We get saved through his son, Jesus. Amen. And so we praise God that this is not just, you know, blind faith that we are, are in. I'll be honest, it takes way more faith to believe that God's word did not come from him. Way more faith to believe that than to believe that it actually is the word of God because no human could ever do this kind of stuff. It is prophetically accurate in a way that is humanly impossible. Here's what Norman Geisler says. He says, if an omniscient God exists who knows the future, then predictive prophecy is possible. And if the Bible contains such predictions, then they are a sign of its divine origin. Here's how God says it in 2 Peter for prophecy never had its origins in humans. Never had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as what? Carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is God saying, I gave you this. I gave you this. You know what you know, humans can and cannot do. I gave you this so you wouldn't have to second guess it. So you could take my word. So this would not have to simply be nothing more than, than blind faith. So this could build your faith and elevate your faith. You can trust God's word. Are you with me? It's historically accurate, scientifically accurate, prophetically accurate. 
And I just want to, I want to close out and Ben, you guys can come help me with a word of caution about this because there is a lot of noise out there about God's word and about the validity of it. In fact, there's a lot of haters. There's a lot of people trying to deconstruct God's word. Like I know, I know preachers and pastors who will say, yeah, um, we, we, there's some things written in God's word that's good principles, but it's really unlikely that they happen that way. I know people that will say that. And honestly, I just think that points to an issue of their own faith. Because what they're saying, what they're saying is maybe what you've heard is that, you know, there are things in God's word that, that are humanly impossible. Like, ah, there's a man, there's no way a man can survive in a fish for three days. Have you heard that before? And you know what my response to that is? You're right. You are absolutely right. The Bible has never been a book of what is humanly possible. Never. It's always been a book of what's only possible with God. And how many of you know with God, all things are, are possible. All things. Yet there's still this movement for people to kind of tear it down. And now there's this idea that you get to pick and choose like a buffet, the parts you like and the parts you don't like. And this is why it was critical for me to lay this foundation as we head into the coming weeks. Because we don't get to do that. Like when you pick and choose the part that you like and versus the part you don't like, what you're doing is you are trusting in you rather than trusting in God. And you are making a religion unto yourself, not unto God, not based on what God's word says. And I don't know about you, I, I don't need to be my own God. Like, I think if we're all honest, like, like we know what we are capable of. And we know that I can't do this apart from God. I can't, I can't live my life. I, I know I can't do what he's called me to do apart from God's word. Like, apart from his word, I am a, a mess. And no, I don't always, it doesn't always go down easy. I know that. Sometimes it's difficult. The Bible is the most scrutinized, debated, hated, outlawed, destroyed book ever in the history of the world. Yet, can I tell you something? It endures. It endures. It remains. In fact, there was a, there was a French philosopher in the 18th century. His name was Voltaire. Remember this guy, Voltaire? Maybe you learned about him in, in college. But here's, here's what he said. He said, within 100 years, the Bible will be forgotten. You know the only thing that's been forgotten? That quote right there. I'm just saying, that quote right there. Because this lasted well beyond that. And here's why, because in 1 Peter, it says this, the grass withers and the flower fades or falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever, 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 forever. Hey, would you stand to your feet? So here's what this all means. And I wanna say this loud and clear, just so there's no confusion. No confusion about where I stand, no confusion about where this church stands. I mean, you need to know. And, and by the way, this does not mean you have to agree. I love the fact that if you were just checking this thing out, you, you feel welcome and wanted to walk in here and explore faith, explore God. Like, I love that. I'm so glad that you're here to do that. However, for me, 
the leadership in this church, we believe in God's flawless holy word. We believe it is the final authority in our lives. And that means even when I don't understand it, even when I don't like it or agree with it, it means when it's not popular or easy because God is God and I am not. And I'm not gonna trust myself. I'm gonna trust him. And here's the promise I will make to you. I'm never gonna get up here and give you my opinion. I'm not gonna do that. Some people say, well, what if, you know, what if, you know, God's word is once again, it's outlawed or, or whatever, and you can't, nope, not going to happen. I'm not going to give you my, my word, my opinion. I'm just going to share what God's word says and let him and his spirit do what he does best. And here's what I know is if we can get this truth into our heads, God can change our heart. If we can get the truth and trust that God's word is trustworthy for our lives, it can radically change our heart. Are you with me? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. There's nothing like it on this earth. There has never been anything like it on this earth. It is trustworthy. It is true. It is right. It stands the test of time. It's, it stands up to scrutiny and criticism. It's the only, only God for a righteous living. It's able to correct and challenge and lead us, God, to knowing you better, to knowing ourselves better. And so, God, we say thank you for your word. Thank you that it stands the test of time in the sense that it's, it's never changing. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, the same God you were back in those days, you are today in our life. And so I pray that you would help us as a church, God, as a group of people just doing our best to follow a perfect God. And I know we do it imperfectly and I know we get it wrong. So I pray that there is grace and mercy and understanding. But more than anything, God, I pray that your word would rise to its rightful place and position in all of our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together, church. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There will be some practical resources to help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. Thank you for living generously. We hope you enjoyed this message. Have a great week.